Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Clap Your Hands podcast, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. And today, not brought to you with as much enthusiasm as the post-game uh, one pod, Kyle. Uh, look, we're, we're, we'll get into it. We will definitely break down the specifics of what happened, I guess, at least uh, in that disastrous third quarter. Uh, try to lift my spirits back up, because, man, I'm feeling deflated after that one. But... I mean, look, but first I would say before before we get into it, everybody, download the Odyssey app. You get all the episodes first. You hit that auto-download button. Hopefully, after game three, that means there will be a very quick post-game victory pod in your feed. But, uh, man, oh, man. Um, I mean, the real only thing I can say to, to sum that one up is that just – that really, really – that really sucked what happened in that game, too. Uh you know, obviously Embiid has his MVP uh, press conference earlier in the day. Embiid comes back. Everybody's feeling great. He, you know, he warms up. He looks normal. And then, boy, oh, boy, uh, that was not the performance you were hoping to see from that team in that spot. No, but, you know, I want to get one thing out of the way to start the podcast. I, there was a bit of, well, why did they bother playing Joel in this game? And look, man, I think it's very obvious why they played him in that game because yeah. this was probably going to happen in terms of Boston throwing a counterpunch in that game regardless. And so to get the initial rust, conditioning, all that kind of stuff out of the way last night rather than on Friday, which is when you should be taking control of the series between Friday and Sunday and winning those home games, getting all that out of the way was priority number one. Now, that being said, the Sixers just played bad in, in several key assets of, or aspects of the game. The two that jumped out to me, one is more disappointing than the other. They just got beat in terms of competitiveness and effort mm-hmm. and you know all the loose balls, 50-50 plays. And that's more disappointing in the sense that you know that Boston's coming into that game the more desperate team, right? And so... To not hit the floor, to not be ready to get defensive rebounds, to let somebody like a Grant Williams or Derek White or one of these other role players for Boston essentially get rebounds in the middle of like four guys, create second chance opportunities. 
you just can't have that happen. And the margins weren't that big. They're not as big as I, I would have thought on first watch. But when the talent levels are fairly even, that's what's going to happen in these games. That The team that, that wins all the 50-50 stuff, I would say generally is going to come out on top in this series. The other thing is, it just it's look, it's a make or miss league. It's the oldest cliche in yeah. the NBA, but they only took 33s compared to 51 for Boston. And they only made six compared to, I believe I it was 20 for Boston. That's a difference of 42 points just from the three point line. Like, that's you can't win that way. We saw uh, game one of Nuggets Suns. Phoenix has a really good game offensively in terms of overall efficiency, but they just didn't shoot enough threes and Denver beat them easily. Like that's the way the NBA works. Now, if you're not getting up a high volume of threes, you have such a low margin for error for your offensive success that it's just really difficult to win a playoff game that way. So there's a lot in there. Um, I want to touch on each, you know, a a little more, but I guess, for me, what I'll what I'll start with first, and look, doing the post game pod after post after game one was exhilarating, right? But I, I think that having the night to sleep on this game was probably for the better. But the further away from the further away I get from the game, I think something you touched on uh, there is really kind of my main takeaway, which is, man, all year we've really kind of credited this team. Not all year, I should say, but a lot of the the, the year, the second half of the year, in in the Brooklyn series and in Game One, we really credited this team for they try hard, they come back, they don't give up, right? Like all you know, and we credited Doc for that. And last night, I get that you go in up one zero, and I completely agree with you. You play Embiid, right? And I, I, but I actually think the whole set of people, whoever you know, listeners, whatever, that said, oh, this is why you don't play Embiid. I almost kind of feel like the team had an had a similar attitude in the way of, well, we already won one in Boston, so we'll see what happens and who knows, right? Like they can speak publicly about, you know, Harden after game one is saying, well, it's only game, it's only one game. Get off the court. It's only one game. And, you know, Embiid saying, we'll celebrate this for five minutes and we'll concentrate on game two. They didn't play like it. And had they come out and just played poorly and Boston jumped out to a big lead, Maybe I would have been a little more willing to sit here and go, you know what? Boston's a good team. It was going to be really hard to win game two. It is what it is. But what really frustrates me, the the further we get away from that game was, it was so winnable. Like the first half of that game, Boston did not play well. Like the Sixers shot one, I think, of 13 from three in the first half. Felt like they were down six or seven the entire first half. By the end of the, you know, two or three minutes left, in the second quarter, they get it to, I believe, four or maybe six or something like that. Boston goes on a little mini run. They're up 10 at halftime. But that game was not over. Like, as poorly as the Sixers played, as poorly as their effort was, Boston didn't exactly come out and land some haymaker and put them away right away. What sucks is they came out in the third quarter and they basically stopped trying. You know, like I don't even I, don't, I have almost no recollection of the third quarter because it felt like the second <laughs> halftime started. It was over. Right. Like the next thing I know, I look up and all of a sudden they're down 16. And then next thing you know, the starters aren't even playing in the fourth quarter. So I put that on Doc. Right. If we're going to credit Doc for when they try hard and when they come out, make comebacks. It's on Doc. The fact that this team looked like they didn't even give a shit in the second half. Right. And I understand you're up 1-0 and all those things. But you win that game last night and you're up 2-0 and the series is almost over. And you're only down 10 at halftime. You're only, you know, single digits most of the first half. This idea that it's like, well, they were going to lose anyway. 
I completely don't subscribe to that. And I think it's like unacceptable from the fans that are pointing that out. You don't just throw games away in the playoffs. You don't just say, well, we won the first one. So we have home court advantage now and we'll see what happens. Last night was a big game. And I don't look, I still think they're going to win the series. I picked, I picked it before the uh, series. I felt even better about it after game one. So I'm not giving up, but I don't think that this whole, well, it is what it is attitude from some people is fair. Like they deserve to be ripped for the poor effort that they showed in, in the third quarter because they blew a chance to potentially win that game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, as always, I'm not as worked up as uh, as you are about it. I, I think the thing that I would be concerned with, because, you know, Boston could say the same thing in game one, that, like, their effort wasn't there. They got out-competed in certain ways. The Sixers win the 50-50 stuff, they turn the ball over way more, et cetera, et cetera. Like, these are the swings that happen within a playoff series during a playoff run. The concern I would have is that the defensive discipline is just not there. And look, Joel had a great first half protecting the rim, right? I think the big positive from that game is that I thought he moved well, all things considered, coming off this layoff. And having said after the game that he should be out four to six weeks, which nobody wants to say it's a great He two. said that. Yeah. Nobody, oh, on, Joel. nobody oh, wants God. to say, no, he also, you have to actually listen to the whole conference. <laughs> so like okay, before you it. fucking jump off a bridge, relax. <laughs> he said he's on the floor. There's no excuses, whatever, but right. that the four to six weeks indicates, even though nobody wants to say this, it's a grade two sprain. And like, yep. that's a problem. It's not going to go away. A two-day difference in terms of rest is not making the difference. Anyway, he looks good relative to what he's dealing with physically. Five blocks in the first half. Boston can't score on him at the rim. And the guys around him don't seem to understand what the value of his rim protection is. And like James Harden or Tobias Harris or Jalen McDaniels, whoever you want to point the finger at on a given possession – these guys are pinching in on the paint on these drivers who are attacking the rim and not putting themselves in a position to make a play on a pass that's being kicked out. They're certainly not helping Joel defend at the rim. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, name a role player on the Celtics, Derek White, Grant Williams, uh, Malcolm Brogdon. Like these guys are just sitting there waiting, getting open shots from the perimeter because the Sixers are overhelping and overhelping and overhelping. Like Doc focused on after the game, the their lack of containing guys off the dribble that they're getting beat too easily on on the perimeter. 
that puts stress on the paint and then they're collapsing and, you know, they're getting the open threes out of it. And there's certainly something to that, but Joel is there to be the security blanket and they're not allowing him or trusting him to be that guy. A lot of the time there's too much like, Oh, I got to get there. I'm just going to sprint like a headless chicken towards the ball and towards the rim. And the byproduct is instead of like Malcolm Brogdon having to shoot over Joel Embiid at the rim or Jason Tatum having to hit a drop-off pass around a defender to hit Al Horford or Robert Williams on the weak side. Instead, you can see out of your peripheral, hey, there's a shooter wide open on the other side of the floor, and that's a three-point shot rather than two points. And so over the course of a game, that's how you get a 42-point margin from the three-point line. Like Boston took more shots in general, but they're also getting – higher quality attempts like most of or not most of a good chunk of the Sixers three point attempts are James Harden and Tyrese Maxey taking tough pull up threes. And there yeah. just were not as many of those that the Celtics would have felt like, Oh, this is kind of a, a coin flip here. They're getting practice shots for a lot of that third quarter when the game swung. So that's been a problem against this team all year. They leave the role players and the, decent to good shooters open. Those are the results you're going to get against this team. You just can't be that undisciplined defending the three point line. Yeah. I mean, I think the the point you make about the three point discrepancy is really good. Obviously being an offensive guy, I'm going to look at it on the Sixers end. your point about the defense was good. Uh, Embiid felt like he was the only one trying out there. Like the only kind of memorable moments I have from the first half are those Embiid blocks. And physically, it was really good to see him be able to do that, to get up. Um, You know, there's a moment where he grabbed his knee where I'm like, oh, shit, but he's actually just playing with his brace. So that's probably just going to be life for the rest of these playoffs. Um, But on offense, to your point about a lack of three-point shooting, there was one moment that really sticks out to me. Um, George Niang gets it. They're swinging the ball around. Oh, my God, that play. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) And I don't remember if he, like, pump faked or what he did, but he, you know, it's like, bro, if you're not going to shoot that shot, what are you doing on the court? Because you're not helping on defense. You're doing nothing else on offense. If he catches the ball and he has a quick release, like, you have to shoot that. So you're right. I thought that the three-point discrepancy was a big part of it, but – even just outside of the George Niang thing, I thought the offense looked just completely disheveled to start the, the the first half and really the game. And especially coming off game one where both teams were on fire to start. I mean, the Sixers didn't come out well. Thankfully, the, the Celtics really didn't either, which, which kept it close. But I thought they looked like they had no plan on offense. And that ties into what I'm saying where they just seemed unprepared for this game. And that, that goes on the leaders. That goes on Harden. I know you want to get into him. It goes on Doc, right? I mean, Embiid just coming back. I'm not going to put blame on him for that. But I just thought offensively to start, they looked like they had no plan. They looked like they were all over each other. I just, it was a mess to me to start the game offensively. Yeah, so there were a lot of guys last night. I think Niang in that instance and P.J. Tucker, the two worst culprits that – they took shots that are good playoff shots, good playoff looks, and turned them into possessions where the Sixers ended up with like four seconds on the clock and somebody scrambling yeah. to make a play. Like, so this is why, and McDaniels has been terrible the first two games of the series. So I'm not saying that like it, that was a bad trade or anything, but 
this is why Matisse Thibel was not going to be trusted in this spot because what is an open shot in the playoffs is not the same as an open shot in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And guys have to be comfortable with, you know, I only have like maybe a foot or two of space here compared to, oh, I'm wide open. I'm going to get a great look from three. You have to be able to live with, in terms of your confidence stepping into a shot, this guy's going to get a hand in my face. This, this is not, you're not playing the Charlotte Hornets in February. You're playing the Boston Celtics who can fly around and switch and they have a bunch of long athletic guys that are going to get out to you. And you have to know, looking at the tape, this is the quality of shot that it, we're just going to have to live with, that I'm going to have to live with. And, yeah. you know, with P.J. Tucker, you sort of come in expecting that. A guy like Niang, to your point, he can't be on the floor if he's not taking that shot and he's not getting up more shots, just period. Because if he can't add value as a shooter, all his weaknesses matter more. And to me, in many ways, like talked, we've mentioned Embiid and Harden, but it really was a role player game. Like this is the difference between having home court advantage and not. You get four games in the series where you have your role players playing in a friendly environment. Like, I expect George Niang to play better at home. I expect guys like mm-hmm. McDaniels and Melton to play better at home. But you only get three of those if you're the Sixers in the series at a maximum. So, you know, Boston is just has a deeper team. I would say, like, their depth is better. Guys like Brogdon are simply better than, you know, the guys the Sixers are bringing in off the bench. Guys like White, same sort of deal. So... That will probably swing in the Sixers' favor for games three and four. But then you need your superstars or your stars, I guess, at this point in James Harden's case, to play like star players. And look, we can say everything we want about, you know, Joel looked better physically than maybe I thought. And I don't really put the defense on him except for maybe, you know, a few outlier plays. Mm -hmm. But he only ended up with what, like, 15 points or something like that like this was not a oh man joel is back type performance right. it's okay he, he's pretty good and james harden was bad he's bad on both sides of the ball you're not going to win a road playoff game that way yeah so let's get into joel now um i left that game and look i'll admit my expectations maybe were just too high heading into the game right he wins mvp he's coming back like i was ready for a for a Joel game. And I wasn't, I wasn't there watching warmups, but you watch the videos and he looked relatively normal. Um, we talked about how he looked defensively overall. I, I guess I thought he moved mostly better than I expected. Um, he's never going to be like a sprint up and down the court guy. So maybe I'm reading too much into him. Maybe, you know, jogging relatively slowly from one end to the other. I'm sure his conditioning understandably with almost two weeks off, wasn't great. Uh, I think on defense, just watching him get up and make those blocks wasn't was encouraging just from a physical perspective on offense. So he has 13 first half points, um, which would, you know, had the game remained close in theory, you know, puts him on pace for 26. But but ultimately, he was a complete no show in the third quarter offensively, like the whole team was. I my overall take of him offensively was I was not impressed with. I was not impressed with him on offense. I don't think he was terrible. I don't think he was, oh, my God, this is concerning. But I didn't leave that game saying, you know what? 
this looks like a guy that if the Sixers need him to, will put up 30 points in, in three in three in the three games that they're gonna need to win to close to close this out. So curious where you fall on how you thought Joel looked uh on the offensive end and I guess just overall physically. I think when he got to it on offense, he looked fine. I think the problem and Doc said this last night. I agreed with him on it. I think there was a little too much, hey, I'm coming back into a team that just won game one and Joel tried to defer and Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm going to play pass first and not try to call my own number a whole lot. Like, I think he only ended up taking nine shots last night. Now, obviously, the minute count impacted that in some ways, but I think you could see that like he was trying to feel out, Hey, what am I doing here? How are we running things? How have we been running things since I've been out the last, you know, couple of weeks or so. I know most of that time was on the practice court, but just looked a little bit unsure. I also thought my biggest issue with how they set up on offense is they got back more toward the, the floor spots that, Joel has used in the past when he struggled against Boston. There's a lot less from the elbows. It was more, I'm going to post up and I'm going to try to get to the low block. Now, some of that Mm might have just been trying to get to the elbows and the spacing's not there or whatever. But he had a turnover on a play where Marcus Smart is on him in the post and then Horford comes with a late double. There's a loose ball. He picks up a foul. And him with his back to the basket against this team is just not good. Like we don't, you don't want to see that too often. It's something you can go to when you need to in in desperate kind of situations, but ideally you're getting him the ball with, you know, let's say 15 seconds on the clock at the elbows and he can see the whole defense facing up at the rim. And then you go from there. It's not, hey, it's down to like eight seconds and we finally got an entry pass to right. Joel on the block. Because at that point, Boston's going to hit him with a, a very aggressive double. And if he can't make a read right away, now you're down to four or five seconds and either guy's getting it and Boston's flying on the rotation to the, the kick out or he's just turning the ball over or forcing up some bad shot. Like they need to get him the ball earlier They need to get him the ball at his spots. But to your point, he also has to take advantage of his touches. Like I I think you saw a few flashes last night. There was one possession where he had a quick move and dunked it, just like absolutely smoked Al Horford. And that's more of what we saw the last two meetings of the regular season. That's good stuff. That I think is translatable as long as he's, you know, feeling healthy. I just think there was a little too much – yeah, I don't want to mess with what you guys have going on. And then on the other end, the other guys are obviously trying to get him the ball. He is their best player. He is the guy they're running offense through. So it's just everybody seemed a little uncertain of themselves. And Doc said after the game, well, we've played one way the whole year, so I'm not worried about you know getting back to it in game three, game four at home. But yeah. it is a bit of a concern heading back to Philadelphia. Yeah, um, like you mentioned, the dunk I thought was encouraging. Uh, overall, I guess just to kind of wrap up the Embiid thing, um, I mean, did you leave more encouraged or discouraged? Because I think that after they won game one, the optimism was around. And guess what? Joel's coming back too. And Joel came back and they got absolutely smoked. Not Joel's fault, but it is what it is. They've played the Joel card. And you touched on at the beginning of the pod, 
and I'll kind of back you up on it. They absolutely should have played him. This idea they shouldn't have played him to me is just silly. He got out there. I think part of his offensive struggles were rust, like flat out, like he hasn't played in a while. So, I, you know, now you have that out of your way. And look, he has to be better in game three, like point blank period. He has to play better. But did you leave last night more encouraged by Joel or, or discouraged by the fact that of how he looked? I was, I would say individually encouraged because okay. I thought this was going to be a, he can't move. The rim protection might be bad. Like you, you had no idea what to expect. And I thought there were a few plays he made on the move on offense as a passer that were really nice, both in terms of wh what he's reading and how he's moving, like Joel driving to the basket and making like a wrap pass on the baseline to mm -hmm. hit somebody in the corner. Because those are like just physically, it's tough for a guy his size to try to work that footwork within the the crowded paint. And so to see him on the move making plays for others, or at least trying to make plays for others, that part of it I think is really good. Now, I, I think maybe discouraged from a, a team-wide perspective because I mean that was rough, man. Like they yeah. clearly were yeah. not ready. They clearly were not ready to bring him back in and go back to playing this way. And they did not look anything close to the team that, you know, round one against Brooklyn, it looked like a well-oiled machine on offense for most of that series. They're sending doubles at Joel. He's making the right reads. Ball's flying around the floor. There was an odd possession here and there that I thought looked good. And, you know, one of Tobias Harris's two made threes out of the the six that they had all night as a team yeah, was one of the best team possessions they've had in the playoffs where guys are just beating a closeout, kicking to somebody swing pass here. And then he gets a wide open corner three. That's what they can look like at their best. But those moments are so few and far between that. I, I don't know how you come out of that thinking, Oh yeah. From a team perspective, I'm encouraged by Joel's return. Even if right. I thought he looked pretty good individually. Now, you would hope game three, he'll get the MVP trophy before the game. The place is going to be insane. You would hope that he's able to come out and uh, and play better. But James Harden and Tyrese Maxey. Um, I mean, look, Harden was one of those, felt like a complete no-show. I know early on, he, I think, had a relatively good first quarter. I think maybe had nine points or something like that. So he did score a little early on, but didn't think he played over overly well. Obviously, I don't think we're going to say anyone on the team played well, so I'm not signaling him except out. Except for like Paul Reed, maybe. Yeah, except for Paul Reed, who at this point, you know, is either going to – like he's actually a great trade trip at this point. I'm not saying I'd trade him. Well, he's but, a free agent this summer, so. But is it completely unrestricted or is it like – I can't – I feel like he might be restricted, but I, that's the sort of guy that I don't know that he uh, – he – you spend a bunch of money to retain him even if he's like – yeah. We match this deal. I, we'll, well see. That's a that's an off-season podcast. We'll get. I was going to say. Ho hopefully, it's not a discussion we're having anytime soon. But um, Maxi, uh, you know, he had that play where he didn't get the loose ball. It leads to a Celtics three, um, which speaks to your kind of overall fair criticism of them for the effort. Uh, what do you think of Maxi and Harden? Um, play play. What do you think of their play last night? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. 
No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Harden is in a category of his own for me. I thought he stunk after that that good start to the game. Like the beginning of the game is what we talked about a lot after game one where you saw him attacking. You saw him trying to get downhill. He had eight free throws in the first half. Yeah. And that's a that to me is always a great sign. It It, it wasn't a lot of like flailing around and flopping, drawing calls. It's him going into guys' chests and putting pressure on the officials. That's the James Harden that I personally love to see that I think makes a difference for them. As the game goes on, we just see less and less of that. It's too passive. And on the defensive end, he was just fucking horrendous, basically (laughs) the entire night. A lot of just guy he's chasing or guy he's assigned to off ball. He's not really paying attention to. He realizes it about a second too late. Somebody's got to switch or close or, or, or do whatever late in the game. And by that point, possession's basically over. They already have a guy rising up to shoot or somebody else has to rotate and there's a breakdown elsewhere. It just the worst possible version of James Harden on defense where He's standing in no man's land. Yeah, he's not switching when he needs to. There's no communication with a teammate to, you know, pass off assignments. And look, I, I don't want to sit here and skewer him. The concern that I would have for him is that maybe that's closer to what it looks like when there's only one day between the games, and yeah. he doesn't have a week and a half or whatever it ended up being to rest, recuperate, slap a friend in Vegas, you know, get himself (laughs) right mentally. And that's been the thing, right? Like last year we saw this, it was more pronounced, but we saw when James had time to get his legs under him would look really good when he's having to play this relentless NBA schedule. And it was, you know, back to backs and things in the regular season didn't look like the same guy. And this series, the whole way we talked about it coming into it, Every other day, all the way through a potential game six, game seven is the only game that they will get any kind of real rest between yeah. the games if it gets to that point. We don't know that it's going to get to that point. The series could end in five or six games, and nobody will, will have ever gotten any kind of break to kind of settle themselves in and, and get it done. So that's my big concern with him is that if he's not right physically, and he, you also have to deal with the – um the mental struggle or not mental struggles is probably the wrong word. The mental apathy that he shows yeah. on, uh, on defense. That's a tough combination. I was a little more encouraged by Tyrese. I think some of his issues or just, he missed shots from three. Like that's going to happen. A lot I of them in and out too. Like a lot yeah. of them 
you know, bad. And Harden had a couple of those too. Like Harden had two shots last night that there was like voodoo going on. They were like halfway down. If not. So game looks a little better if he makes those, but Tyrese, I thought did a good job, at least attacking inside the arc. There was some good, you know, runners, floaters, him beating a guy off the dribble, added some pace and transition. I do think he seems like he's starting to figure out this matchup a little bit. And he can see, like, look, he's going to have a size disadvantage against most of these guys who defend him. But he has a speed advantage against absolutely everybody on that team. Nobody has the same pace as him. And so however they're playing him, if they're overplaying his his right hand, he's got to go left. Like, he's got to do whatever he's got to do to to leverage that pace. I thought he did a a much better job of that. I thought, honestly, some of their best looks from three – came when he collapsed the defense and got into the paint and then, you know, kicked it out to a shooter. So there's definitely some signs of life from him that I think given this season and the career, honestly, he's had against them. I'm a little bit encouraged by, but you know, still only had like, I don't remember what the stats were. I think at one point he had, had, yeah, he had like 13 points on 14 shots. So yeah. like end of the day, it's still not uh, nothing you're writing home about. I mean, when you look at the final score, obviously you don't expect anyone to have a good stat line, but looking at the box score individually is not uh, is not good. Um, I mean, look, I think we can agree that for game three, they need to bring whoever James Harden slapped from Vegas, just bring him into the stadium, <laughs> put him on the court. Let Harden have a I little... was told that's his uh, friend and like a personal photographer. It's Perfect. Bring the... him, bring him. You know, you know, they have someone ring the bell. They can have Harden slap him at center court to get the uh, to get the game going. So before we wrap this up, game three, I mean, look, it's a must win game. It's just point blank period, must win game, have to win it. Um, what are your thoughts on the game? Well, they got to match the energy of the Celtics. And I don't think that should be that hard when you consider Joel's going to get the MVP trophy more than likely. And that arena is going to be going absolutely ballistic at tip off. The fans certainly know what the stakes are and are going to show up ready to go. I always wonder though, if sometimes that actually works against you. Like I think there is a level of, there can be too much energy and that's from the crowd, the players, everybody where if Boston is able to kill that early, if they're able to get out to an early lead and play better in the first half, then that turns into like a nervous energy. And that Very that sort that sort of thing in an arena is palpable. Like you can you can hear it, you can feel it. Every little run the other team goes on, it just be, it gets very tense in there. And look, these guys are not immune to that. They're they're paid a lot of money to try to compartmentalize and they just worry about what's between the lines and all that, but they can feel that. So I think it's, it's really important more so than usual that they get off to a good start and sort of ride that wave that the fans and Joel's MVP is going to give them. Because if you give Boston early hope in that game, that can turn really quickly. And all of a sudden, you know, all the old demons come flying back. Joel's record against the Celtics in the playoffs is what it is. Like I know they've shrugged that off and I've said, doesn't matter what they did in 2020 and 2018. It's a different team, but look, it's, it's easy for me to say that as somebody who won't play in the game, it's a lot harder for everybody else to try to shrug off. 
hundred percent. Um, you know, I think like a theme of this pod since we started has been, should people believe, should they not believe? Is this team the same? Is this team different? I'm not saying it all comes down to 48 minutes on Friday, but I think when you consider all the aspects of the game, the importance of it, the emotional aspect of it, the opponent, the fact it's in the second round, we're going to find out the answer to this question we've been talking about and debating all, uh, this whole life of this pod. Uh, you know, look, they could play a great game and lose, and we could walk out and say, yeah, this team was different. They lost a close game, but man, you can't do the come out, Joel's flopping around, all that stuff. Like, you got to show up on Friday. You have to win for sure, but you you can't leave that game with Joel's got 15 points again, Harden's a no-show. Like, this is it. You're at home. Everyone wants to believe. And to your point, I think that that belief that people want to have can very quickly turn to nervous energy considering their demons. So we will be back with a pod uh, uh, after that game, hopefully talking about a win. But before we wrap this up, Kyle, we got an interesting review. I don't know if, if you've checked. Have you looked at the five-star reviews I, yet? I have not. So not, now I, I'm, I'm going to the... I'm going to read it to you because I think it's a very specific one that, uh, look, it's been a bit of a, a downer pod. I'm upset they lost. Uh, Kyle has billion things going on in his life, but I think this will bring a smile to your face. So the uh, it's a five-star review and the title is No Punches Pulled. It says, I've been good friends with Kyle for closing in on three decades. This is clearly an unbiased opinion. <laughs> From our fourth grade sports program on our elementary school's Friday news show to BSing in high school, college and beyond, Newback's, Newback's approach to analysis has become more learned and mature through the delivery he has changed. He's a type of person you go to for in-depth analysis, the nuances that get to the root of the problem or to highlight the qualities that lead to success really for any team. And he goes on a little more. Then he said, the guy has been a student of basketball for as long as I've known him. And whether you listen, read his articles or both, his investment in the sport is evident. And then he says, if you've heard Elliot on WIP, you know, you know what you're getting from him. I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but I at least got a little <laughs> something in there. So uh, I don't know if you can figure out who that is based off. I think of, I actually that. know exactly who that is. Okay. I was talking uh, with a few buddies of mine about the podcast the other day. Nice, so. nice. Well, you can keep your honest analysis of the pod to yourself for uh, between the pods. But uh, the uh, tight, yeah, the guy's name is Aaron Wolf. I think maybe is his uh, is the. I, the pod. I'm like I would say I have ninety percent confidence. Uh, I know who that is. So. Very nice, very nice. So anyway, uh, I saw that this morning brought a, a smile to my face. It's very nice to see your friends leaving the reviews, and hopefully that ends the pod on a uh, on a positive note. So, like I said, look, five star reviews. You know, if uh, if look, if our wives are listening and they want to leave a five star review, that could be nice too. So if you're listening, five star reviews are always appreciated. Down oh, yeah. Did you see the other one that said it's the best thing from Philly since the cheesesteak? I did see that. It was very wow. nice. It was very nice. I mean, look, <laughs> slowly but surely, the reviews are piling up. We got three or four uh, on the last ones, and all are appreciated. But that one brought a, uh, uh, you know, it warmed my heart a little, extra smile to my face. So download the Odyssey app. Uh, get all the episodes first, um, and yeah. So we'll talk to you guys after game three, hopefully a victory, and uh, it can be a more, you know, drunk off adrenaline Elliot after that. So we will talk to you guys uh, next time, and uh, talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Talk to you guys soon.